This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, episode 49. Whoa. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Graham. Hey everybody, Brian Hood here with a quick announcement before we get into today's episode. I wanted to let you know that we are about to start up another Accountability Accelerator Bootcamp. This is the fourth one we've done. This is the last one we're doing this year. And I wanted to make sure that everyone, A, knew about it, and B, had a chance to join it. This is absolutely one of the most fulfilling things that I get to do, and it's one of my favorite things that I get to do every few months. This is where we put you on a team with about nine or 10 other audio professionals, and you're given a team name. So we have Team Alpha, Team Bravo, Charlie, Delta, and so on and so forth. And every single week for the next eight weeks, you're going to be given some assignments to do. And these are not like BS, like busy work type things. These are things that you should be doing. And if you're not already doing, you're hurting your business. These are things like getting your website built, getting your website revamped. If you already have a website, setting up all the different lead acquisition systems, as well as setting up technology that you've been avoiding, like payment systems, invoicing systems, proposal systems, retargeting pixels, Google analytics, the list goes on and on and on. Every single week, we give you a list of two to three assignments along with some extra credit as well. And every single one of these assignments are worth points. Every single one of these extra credit tasks are worth points. And your team is competing every single week to have the most points. There's a scoreboard that gets updated weekly. Every team has a team leader that's holding each of the team members accountable. You have weekly meetings with your team on Skype or on Google Hangouts. And you're all competing for about eight to $10,000 worth of prizes. There's an award ceremony, there's trophies, there's all sorts of cool things that come along with this. So if you are interested in this, we're starting it next Monday, October 22nd. This is only available for the Profitable Producer course students, so PPC students only. And I wanted to give everyone a chance to join this. I know the course is not cheap, but just because I want to get as many people as possible into this boot camp, I wanted to give our podcast listeners a scholarship to join this course. So if you want to join the Profitable Producer course just this week, the coupon code is only available for this week. You can get in for an $800 discount. That's $800 discount. Just go to the profitableproducer.com. And when you're checking out, just put the coupon code podcast one. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T one. And if you want to use our payment plan, there's also a coupon code you can use for that. And that is podcast two. So if you're paying in full podcast one, if you're using the payment plan, use podcast two at checkout. And this is only going to be valid this week. So if you try to sign up on Monday or later, it's not going to work. So get in as soon as possible, or as I like to say, as ASAP as possible. We already have about 80 or 90 people registered for this. We'll likely hit 100, 110 people uh, before we're done with registration period. So I'm really looking forward to seeing all you in there. And uh, those who already signed up, you have some awesome stuff ahead of you to look forward to. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I am your host, Brian Hood, and I'm with my strikingly handsome and charming co-host, oh, you. Chris oh, Cram. You. I'm just going to make this a thing. I'm just going to start complimenting you in really wonderful ways and just try to flatter you every single episode where you're speechless. But how are you doing, Chris? I'm a little better now. Good, 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 good. <laughs> how are you, sir? I'm doing awesome, man. What is new in the Chris Graham land? Oh, man. So per... Our episode with Graham Cochran, Graham said something that rocked my world. He said, you need to read Essentialism. And you agreed. And my wife agreed. 
which is a book, by the way. If you didn't listen to that episode, it's episode number 46, where we interviewed Graham Cochran, and he mentioned a book called Essentialism. All these links will be in the show notes. My favorite episode we've done so far. Yeah. So Graham gave me that advice. I picked it up. I am just about ready to finish it. And I've had a great week applying some of these essentialism principles of just sort of blocking up my time a little bit differently and having a little bit more of a rigid schedule. And Same here. boy, it has been incredible. So I've had an absolutely awesome week. I'm not going to lie. That episode has also kind of kicked me back into gear for creating content for the Six Figure Home Studio. After hearing how much content Graham has created in the past, like it's kicked me into gear. So by the time this episode comes out, you will have probably already noticed an uptick in the amount of videos and articles I've put out. So you can thank Graham Cochran for his free coaching he gave us for that yeah. episode. <laughs> For sure. All right. So this episode is a really good one. I'm excited to bring this to you because I recently, or at least the time that I record this, should have already released an article and video asking the same question. And I still think whether or not that article or video did well, this is an important question. And I want everyone to have asked themselves this question. That's why it is not only an article on the blog, it's not only a video on YouTube and Facebook, but it is now also a podcast episode between Chris and I. And the question that you have to answer if you want to ever have success in this industry is this. Why should someone hire you instead of your competitor? Just for a second, just silence. Let that, let that sink in. Why should someone hire you instead of your competition? Chris, why is that question so important? It's important because it takes courage to answer it. When you hear that question, what you have to do is look inward and you have to do a self-assessment of your skills, abilities, assets, what you offer to your customer. And you have to separate that from how you feel about yourself, from your own personal ego. And then you have to look at your competitors and say, I'm better than them at this. I'm better than them at that. I deliver a cooler experience in this regard, et cetera, et cetera. It takes a lot of courage to do a self-assessment, to take stock of what you look like from other people's perspective and then compare yourself to others. That's freaking difficult. Yeah. I would be lying if I said like, oh yeah, no problem. I totally get this. I, I, I do a self-assessment and compare myself to others and am able to make a rational assertion of why my services are superior. No one has this down perfectly. We are all flawed in this area. Deeply. But to have resources like this, like that YouTube video and this episode now, to where occasionally you pause to think about that question, it's going to bring up a lot of things. It's going to bring up a lot of maybe some frustration. It's maybe going to be a little worrying to think, well, why the hell should someone hire me? And we're not trying to discourage anyone, but what we're trying to do is to help set you up for success because in everything that you do, you have this in the back of your mind as you're doing it. And if you don't ever have this question that you're asking yourself, you don't ever have this in the back of your mind as you're building your business, as you're building your career, then it's going to be an even longer and harder road than it already will be if you are asking yourself this question. Man, this should be a challenging episode for you guys to listen to. It's really difficult to take stock in yourself. And I think probably my best advice here is you have to be kind of cold and calculated as you look at yourself and separate your business from you as an individual. I think case in point, we've all experienced this for those of you that have had a paying client before. You do a great job, you send the client to work, and the client has a revision. No matter how experienced you are, on some level, you still take that as a personal insult. <laughs> I physically get mad when I get revisions <laughs> back from someone and it's like a long list. I'm just like, oh, 
I hate you. Well, it's tough because you take it as a personal insult. It's not because I actually hate them. It's because like I take it as a slight against my abilities when that happens. Right. And when you take a revision request as a slight against you as a person and you then respond in kind to the customer, it doesn't go well. No. Many times I've typed emails up that I just delete immediately. I just have to get it out of my system, off my fingertips, and then just delete. So you have to be able to separate you as a business from you as an individual in order to think in this way. And that's one of the most difficult things you can do when you were foolish enough to, like me, name your business your name. ChrisGrahamMastering.com. <laughs> so egotistical, Chris. <laughs> so egotistical. So, man, I probably shouldn't have done that because it's made it difficult to separate any complaint or any revision from, wait, do you think I'm fill in the blank? So just to kind of go back to what we were talking about at the beginning, answering this important question of why should someone hire you instead of the person down the road? This comes down to something called differentiation. And all that means is you have differentiated yourself from the other people. You have set yourself apart in some way, shape, or form. And any successful studio has done that in some way, shape, or form. There are many, many ways to do it. Some studios, some people, some businesses are going to have certain ways they can do it better than someone else. Everyone is different here. So there's no one size fits all advice for anyone here. Again, this is going to be another advice buffet that you have to pick and choose and decide for yourself what it is that is going to be the thing that you focus on. And again, don't try to do all of these. It's going to really set you back if you try to do all of these. But if you can focus on one or two of these and decide, this is it. This is how I'm going to differentiate myself. And I'm going to put all of my time and effort behind this then you're going to have a lot more success than trying to do all of it or none of it at all. One of the first things you can do as you're making this assessment is assess your competitors. Look at them and try to imagine, put yourself in the shoes of an artist. So put on like a funky hat and a hipster scarf or whatever, (laughs) depending on your niche and pretend you're an artist and look at their websites, look at the reviews online, look at their social media accounts and get an idea of would I hire this person? Yes or no. And if I wouldn't hire them, why? And This sort of assessment, I think, can start to help you think about pricing and differentiation and start to help you understand, well, like, they look awesome on the internet. They've got 100 reviews on Facebook, five-star reviews on Facebook. You have none. Pretend I didn't know either of these people, and I was thinking who to reach out to. Who am I going to pick? The person who hasn't posted in one year on their Facebook business page with no reviews or the person who pays not at an annoying amount, but a regular amount. And it's valuable, interesting, engaging content. And there's all these reviews. You have to make a competitor assessment to start here. Yes. Once you've done this competitor assessment, you can start to assess yourself. And man, this is so challenging. This should be an episode that will kick your butt a little bit is our hope. Yeah. It's going to kick my butt too. Honestly, these are things that like, I know all this stuff, but at the same time, it's one thing to teach it. It's another thing to live it. Yeah. There's a heart head separation here where it's easy to know this stuff in your head. It's very difficult to know it in your heart. This is why some doctors smoke. (laughs) Exactly. So let's just dive in. What are the different ways that you can differentiate? We've got a list of ideas here, a list of different ways that you can be different than your competitors, because here's the thing. Nobody will ever hire you if you are exactly like the guy down the street. If you are just a carbon copy of the guy down the street. I call that a me too business. Yeah. If you have a me too business, you ain't getting hired, period. And it's just never going to work out unless you are 10x better than the guy that you're copying. And that's difficult to do. So what is better to you, Chris? What do you mean by better, quote unquote, better? Yeah. So the first way that you could differentiate yourself is by being better. And we have to right out of the blocks, tackle this one because the initial response of the audio engineer is, well, 
I'm so much better because I understand the difference uh, between uh, impedances and microphones. And uh, I also, uh, my monitors go up to 25K. Do you hear that? Do you hear that, Chris? That's the gear slot alert. Oh, goodness. Oh, I got a gear. Well. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell? So this definition of better in the audio community doesn't freaking work. Musicians don't care. They don't care at all. No. And if they do, you don't want to work with them because then you're just going to compete over who's the bigger gear nerd. And that's no fun and there's no way to run a business. So better. I think the first definition we could talk about in better is talent related. And I think talent related is, can you make a vocal sound better than the guy down the street? If yes, then you are better. Do your drums have more punch to them than the guy down the street? If yes, that makes you better. We could go on for 40 episodes. This is more in the realm of audio skills, which we don't talk about on this podcast. But... This isn't necessarily the only way or the most important way to differentiate yourself because most likely there's only marginal differences between you and your competitor. Or sometimes there are major differences, but there's other areas that you're way better than them at. This is one of the most difficult ways to differentiate yourself off raw talent alone. Obviously, it's ideal that you're better than everyone else in the world, but that's not very likely that you're better than everyone else. So again, I talk about it on my YouTube video in my article that this is one area that you can differentiate, but it's definitely not the easiest to do. And so we focus on other areas that you do have control over that you can affect immediately. Yeah, this is the worst way to differentiate is when someone's no, like- No, second worst way. Second worst way. Yeah, it's pretty bad. If someone's like, well, we're thinking about hiring you, but we might hire this other guy. Why should we hire you instead? If someone's bold enough to ask that question, well, because <laughs> I'm more talented, duh, is <laughs> not a great answer. No, <laughs> not no. a great answer. I will immediately not hire that person if that's their answer. All right. So if being quote unquote better or the best or whatever is not necessarily the best option or the, the option that you can do, what are some other areas, Chris, that you can differentiate yourself and set yourself apart? Well, you can just be cooler. What does that mean? Like I think of like the old cigarette ads with Joe cool, the camel or whatever that would smoke cigarettes and he's so freaking cool. And then they ban cigarette ads, thank God. And they're not on the TV anymore. Uh, that's what I imagine when I hear the word cooler, it's kind of a dated word. What does that mean, Chris? Well, cooler, I think could mean a couple different things. We've got three different types of cooler here. We've got a cooler location. You could have a cooler vibe or you could just be a better hang quote unquote than the next guy. So the location thing I think is important. If you're trying to convince someone to record in your parents' basement and their parents' unfinished basement. Guilty. Guilty. Yeah. I've done that. I've done that. I've done that. It worked out like when I was 19, 20 years old. Yeah. It was a good way to get started. And by the way, if that's where you're at right now, don't let that discourage you because- Yeah. No shame. No shame at all. Like we both got started in that area. Yeah. But it's not helping you. (laughs) If you're 30 and recording in your parents' unfinished basement- yeah. It's not your differentiating factor. Some shame. Just a little bit. There's a little shame there. Just a little bit. (laughs) So vibe. This one is really important in the cooler category here. We were talking about before the podcast episode, we have the most amazing conversations as we're planning episodes. We only use about 20%, maybe not even, maybe 10% of what we talk about. Actually, we turn into an episode. So vibe. I think one of the most important things when you have a recording studio is the vibe of the studio. When somebody walks over and is getting a tour, do they think to themselves, man, I just want to like hang out here all the time. (laughs) If they don't think that, it's not in your favor. So having like vibey, cool stuff, good lighting, if they wouldn't post an Instagram photo of your studio, 
you don't have a Vibe Studio. You mentioned an interesting thing before we started recording today, and that was, what if you were to build your entire studio with the mindset that you were going to make it as, and I quote you here, as Instagrammable as possible? Mm-hmm. This brings up an interesting point because you see this on really anything that there's a visual element to it, and I'm going to use Airbnb as an example. If you start designing an Airbnb, if you want to make the most revenue possible, you're doing every single thing that you possibly can in your power and in your budget to make it the most visually appealing place on the entire site or at least in your area. And it doesn't necessarily take more money to do that. It just takes a good eye and some good taste. The interesting thing is with Airbnb, you don't necessarily have to have the most appealing place in person or the most comfortable place, which is weird to say. You have to have the most photographable place or the most Instagrammable place because when people travel, they just want to post videos and photos while they're traveling and look like they're in the coolest location ever. And so if you bring that kind of idea into the studio world, you can invest some time, some effort, and a little bit of money to make your place look great from the ground up. Throw everything out that's in your place right now and redesign it or redecorate from the ground up. It may take less money and less effort than you really think if you really take some time and get someone who has a good interior eye. Absolutely. So case in point here, shout out to Grand Crew Studio. They are a recording studio in London on a boat. It's a boat with a studio in it. Oh, that's cool. That actually brings up another idea of an experiential studio in that situation. That's just a unique experience as far as location and vibe. Yeah. So let's just imagine you're working in a record. You've got a certain budget. There are two studios that you've narrowed it down to. You're in London, Grand Crew Studios, and this other guy's studio that's like in a house. And it looks like a normal house, except there's some microphones and stuff. Most home studios. Grand Crew Studios is all things considered, let's say they're the same price, is going to be in the lead because what a great story. Yeah, man, I'm going to go record my record on a boat. That's cool. And I'm puking between drum takes because of the seasickness. <laughs> yeah. So it's just cool. It's very Instagrammable. It's very Pinteresty. And it's really easy to engage with your audience as a musician to show, hey, I'm at this cool boat studio working on a song. So man, Six Figure Home Studio, tip of the cap to Grand Crew Studios for making an Instagrammable studio. Yeah. The link to their studio will be on our show notes at the sixfigurehomestudio.com slash 49. That's slash 49. There will be a link to that studio for you to check out. Bingo. So cooler location, cooler vibe, or you're just a good hang. There are different things that you can do. If your competitor, the guy that you are trying to get clients from, or that you're trying to keep people hiring you instead of hiring them, you can be cooler. It seems petty. And I know like our gear slut voice inside of us is like, that's dumb. You shouldn't listen to these guys because what you need is another preamp. That's how you get more clients. I would argue that being a good hang, having a great attitude, being a person that people want to be around is infinitely more valuable than having a $100,000 console in your control room. Yeah. I know that you can make a statement that having an expensive console in your studio is great for positioning, and it is, and it can attract you clients, but at the end of the day, the relationship that you build, the personality that you have, what you bring to the table from a relational perspective, and how much they actually want to be around you is going to have a much longer term, better, bigger impact on your business at the end of the day. Yeah. So if an artist is thinking to themselves, well, I want to find somewhere where I can go and completely bare my soul and be the truest version of myself by making noise with my mouth, where will I feel more comfortable doing that? And who will I feel more comfortable doing that with? The good hang thing, very true. The vibe thing, 
Very true. The location thing can be true as well. If it's like, hey, do you want to fly to the middle of Siberia to record or... Maybe that's the people's thing. Yeah. Do you want to go record in a skyscraper that's 20 miles away? There's so many different things you can do to differentiate yourself. And it's not going to appeal to everyone. Some things are going to appeal to some people more than others. People might be appealing to go record in the woods in a cabin with four-wheelers and guns. And, you know, that's your experience. And some people would, (laughs) yeah. And some people would rather be, you know, maybe on a lake with boats. Some people would rather be in downtown Nashville where I'm at and be around Broadway and the Music City. And and so there's not going to be one vibe and one location, one thing that works for everyone. But there is a way to differentiate no matter what. There's a way to do something Yeah. Let me just dive into the guns thing for just a minute here. There's a super interesting opportunity, especially if your niche is country, not to like judge here. (laughs) I'm judging away. Country's the most hunting compatible genre. It's true. And, (laughs) And if your angle is, hey, I've got this cabin, it's a hunting cabin, but it's also a recording studio. Let's go record a record during deer season and we're gonna hunt and record. That's an interesting marketing angle for the right musician. A lot of musicians are going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm in for that. So there are so many things you can do to just be cooler that will differentiate yourself and make it more of an experience for the artist, which will get you a lot more bookings. All right. So we've talked about ways to differentiate so far being better. So having more talent. We've talked about being cooler. But now let's talk about reputation. The big one. This is a huge differentiating factor because let's just say your reputation is bad. Well, good luck, my friend, because your career is not going to be very long. It's over before it even began if your reputation sucks. Yeah. You could have no talent. You could have no cool and a reputation, and it's still possible to be successful. You could have all the talent in the world, all the cool in the world, and a bad, untrustworthy reputation. Good luck in 2018, buddy. Good luck. So reputation is more than just like trustworthiness, because obviously when you start thinking about someone's reputation, you're thinking first, are they trustworthy? But there's a lot more to it than that. What are some other ways besides just trustworthiness that can affect your reputation? Well, yeah. You know, if you have a bunch of big records, if you're like, oh, you know, I did a record that, you know, hit number one last spring, that's going to help with your reputation. We've talked about this in the podcast before. I'm really big into reviews. I think someone should be able to look you up online and immediately get a feel for if you're for real or not. And if you have no reviews for your business, that's a red flag for me. I would never go eat at a restaurant or hire someone to work on my house fill in the blank that doesn't have a lot of reviews. Yeah. These all go back to social proof elements that we've talked about in past episodes. Yeah. The other aspect of reputation is network. Does the person who's thinking about hiring you know a lot of the same people that you know? Now, here's the thing. A lot of people put a lot of focus on this and they should at first, but a real business has strangers that come in the door and make purchases. So you have to move beyond just network reputation eventually or your business is only going to have a certain number of clients, it's going to plateau and then fizzle out. Depends on the business model, my friend. You have such a high volume of clients. I see where you're going. There's literally no way you could sustain your business off people only in your network because you work with so many clients and your business model requires that many clients. And my business model, theoretically, I could honestly have a very good living only working with people that I know through my network or that are referred through my network. And I'd say for most of my career, Everything I did was 100% sustained on just referrals and word of mouth clients. So what you would say is there's a correlation. The larger your customer value, how much a customer will spend, the more important the network is. Yes. The less they spend per project, the less important the network is. And that's one of the reasons we make good co-hosts on the show is because we're on the opposite sides of that. Yeah. My price is very low. My volume is very high. Your price is very high. Your volume is very low. Yes. 
Not your actual volume as in measured by Lux or RMS. I master at negative 85 RMS. Yeah, I'm more like negative 5 RMS every song. (laughs) Audio nerds. We're not audio nerds very often, are we? Go, Ivan. Uh, we need, an, we need an, like a, a gear slut alert for audio nerdism when you make any reference to like acoustical measurements, etc. K, Lu- Hertz, yeah, I, Luff. Yeah, as I say, Luff. We're going to just have an audio slut alert. Yeah, an audio slut alert. Awesome. Well, I think that pretty much wraps us up for reputation yeah. and how you can differentiate. If your competitor isn't trustworthy, doesn't have big records under their belt, or at least noteworthy records under their belt, doesn't have reviews doesn't have a network, doesn't have a relationship, there are so many opportunities for you to swoop in there and differentiate from them. Maybe with having the discipline to ask previous bands for reviews. That's one way that you can immediately apply this. Or maybe working on your network, maybe making sure that you're following up with and engaging with and being a friend to the people in your network so that you stay top of mind for them. And that's something I've been really working on a lot recently, nurturing my relationships in my network more being a lot more proactive about it instead of waiting for people to contact me. That's something I've just never really been in natural with. So I downloaded an app called Rise. Is it friend relationship management software? R-Y-Z-E. And yes, it is friend relationship management software. It's basically a CRM for your friend network. You add your contacts into it. You set up how often you want to be reminded to follow up with them, whether it's one week, two weeks, a month, six months. Every person in my network, depending on kind of what bucket they're in, if it's a real estate acquaintance, if it's like an audio person or a business mentor, you know, I have a bunch of different buckets that I put people in. It reminds me of the interval that I've specified so that I don't go too long without communicating with them, like, hey, having a lunch or setting up a meeting or just checking in and seeing how they're doing. I need that in my life. It is awesome so far. It's a little buggy. It's not the most smooth interface, but it seems to work so far. I'm still early in my process with that. So just thought it'd be worth mentioning to people. Interesting. Well, what's this next way that people can differentiate under the better category? Have you ever actually sat down and thought about where your next client will come from? Most freelancers don't because most freelancers' number one strategy for getting new clients is something called hope marketing. And if that sounds like you, you're not alone. Most freelancers think that just by putting out great work, clients will come banging down your door to hire you. Now, while you obviously do need to be good at what you do, we both know that this strategy does not work. Otherwise, your calendar would be 100% booked solid with amazing projects from your ideal clients. So to help you with this fight against hopium addiction, I'm excited to announce that our flagship coaching program, Clients by Design, has finally opened up applications again. This transformational coaching journey is not a one-size-fits-all. It's tailor-made just for you. We'll do a deep dive into your business to see what's missing, and we'll lay out a step-by-step roadmap to guide you over the next six to eight months. And here's the best part. We don't just give you the plan and send you on your way. We give you personal one-on-one help so you never get stuck. And we make sure you actually follow through with something called our absolute accountability system. So if you're ready to stop relying on hope marketing and ready to start building your own client acquisition machine so you can get a steady flow of clients, then it's time to step up and apply for clients by design and see if you're a good fit. Just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach. And I'll be the first to say that this program is not for everyone. So far, we've only accepted about 25% of those who apply. So if you want to find out if you're a good fit, just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach and fill out the application. Now here's our show. Yeah, so this is being more convenient, being a more convenient option than the guy or the girl down the road. 
And there's a few areas in this. We've talked about the first one here, location, being in a more convenient location, not necessarily a cooler location. That's kind of the better area that we talked about earlier, but more convenient. Are you closer to your person or are you in an area that's more convenient, has better parking? There's a lot of different ways this can shake out, but more convenient. Chris, let's talk about the areas we have as far as conveniency when it comes to outpacing your competitors. Absolutely. So location's easy. You have an opportunity to have a monopoly on your location as a business. So let's say you live in Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati's a great town, man. It's awesome. It was one of the fastest growing towns in the 1800s. (laughs) In the 1800s, Chris. It's true. That was over 100 years ago. Well, (laughs) anyways, if you're in Cincinnati, and I don't know this, I'm in Columbus right up the road. If you're in Cincinnati and you have the best recording studio in Cincinnati, you have the opportunity to pull from Cincinnati for clients and be the most convenient place to record for people from Cincinnati. Now, there is a problem there. Nashville's not too far down the road, and Lord knows there's plenty of recording studios down there. So, you know, if you are in Traverse City, Michigan, I love Traverse City, Michigan. It's one of my favorite places on earth. You have an opportunity in Traverse City, Michigan to become the number one location as a studio for everyone that's up there. And that's an interesting thing. So you have the opportunity to have a monopoly on convenience here. It's one of the few places where you can be like, I'm the guy, I have the nicest place, I'm where everyone goes, and everybody in this area knows it. There's a huge conversation, I'm a hub for the music community, you can have a monopoly on location. And that's where most businesses have a monopoly, we're the most convenient location for this area. So when it comes to being more convenient, obviously you can be in a better location, something that's closer or more conveniently located for your ideal client. But that's not the only way you can be more convenient. Another way is to have better hours. Chris, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So if you run your studio from nine to five and you record musicians, you might have some trouble with that in certain niches and certain markets. In a lot of places, especially these days, all the band members and all the musicians that you're going to record have a real job. If their hours are nine to five Monday through Friday and your hours are nine to five Monday through Friday, they have to take time off to record with you. That's a challenge. You might be able to, let's say in your city, there's one recording studio. I think Nashville has one recording studio and only one recording studio. That's accurate. (laughs) And let's say they don't often do anything outside of normal hours. And your angle could be, I record, I'll record you all night. There are a lot of people who are willing to do that. And frankly, there are a lot of studios that you can rent for dirt cheap in the middle of the night. Especially in Nashville. Especially in Nashville. Yeah, you could show up in Nashville and pay very little money for red eye time. Off hours. So you could be like, hey, I know you got a full-time job. We're going to record all weekend. And by all weekend, I mean all weekend. And I've got the studio booked. It's incredible, yada, yada, yada. There's just a lot of opportunities if you're willing to compete on convenience. Yeah, there are a lot of businesses in the service-based industry that could take a page from this book. There are dentists, there are- Banks. Banks. The banks close at like 4.30 around here. Yeah. If I work a day job and I need to go do something at your business, but you are only open during business hours, then what am I supposed to do- When I'm off work and I'm trying to do stuff with you. So it's it's a little pet peeve of mine when it's like, if you look at your client base and you look at their schedules, how can you set yourself up to be the counter of that to where when they're free, you're free? Yes. And if your business is revolving around matching their schedule hour for hour, where you're only available when they're already busy, it's going to be a tough road ahead of you. Yeah, for sure. Well, this last one, this is how I 
had my first audio business. And my goal was to be more convenient because, quote unquote, I come to you. So my first audio business, this would be in 2002, 2003, I bought some gear. It was one of the first FireWire interfaces. So I could plug a laptop into it. It was the old Mo2828. Gear slot. Gear slot. Yeah. And I would go to a client's house and we would set up in a guest bedroom and we'd record a record. And we'd hang blankets on the walls and I'd bring all my toys and I had all these crazy suitcases. I'd bring monitors and set them up in another guest bedroom or next to their bed. <laughs> Super awkward one time. And we'd record at their house. That was really convenient for them because they're only paying for my time. So my price was a lot lower. There was no like real estate bill or rent that I had to pay. So I could charge a fraction of what my competitors did. And it was a great way as like a 20 year old to make an income in audio. There's a lot of different angles you could take with this. Obviously, just location-based recording where you're taking your gear out to them. That's one way to do it. Or you're renting a location to, say, a cabin somewhere. You're taking your gear out to there. We've talked about this on the podcast in the past, but there's actually an acquaintance of mine here in Nashville who bought an old tour bus and completely gutted it and then built out a live-work studio in the bus where he actually lives and has a studio in the bus. Really cool situation. And that's been pretty successful for him. I can't think of the studio name off the top of my head. I'll try to find that. If I can figure it out, I'll put it in the show notes. That's actually funny you mentioned that. One of my biggest regrets, let's see, it would have been 2005. I had just graduated college. I was producing and teaching audio full-time. One of my biggest regrets was not buying an old RV trailer and converting that into my studio. Nowadays, you can do that. It's Maybe you could argue that it's not the best sound in the world, but I've made do with a lot worse spaces than that. I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah, me too. And the big thing with an RV trailer is that you can make that into a control room and you can make money in two ways. One, you can roll it up to someone's house and record a record on location at their house. And two, there's an opportunity to make a lot of money recording live concerts. You pull your trailer up, you run a huge snake in, you record the live show, you're outside the venue in a little crappy control room. So there's a lot of opportunities for the we come to you model where you can make the artist comfortable which is the idea, right? An artist will hire you because they feel the most comfortable bearing their soul with you. So there's an awful lot of opportunities there. So we've talked about being better in a number of ways, but now there's another category we haven't really talked about yet, and that's being faster. Chris, let's talk about that. First of all, what do you mean by being faster? Faster could mean a lot of things. It could mean you are easier to book. They can book something with you sooner. It could mean that your turnaround time is faster. It could mean that your revision time is faster. On our interview with Billy Decker, episode 13, he talked about how fast he was with revisions, that he could get them back off in the same day. That's the case for me too. I found that my customers are way happier if I set a little bit of time aside each day, if there is a revision request so that I can get it back ASAP. That's when people usually get the most angsty on a project. So faster is a good thing. Now, here's another thing. If you are really fast, you have a couple options here. You can give a faster delivery time. You can also charge less because it's less of your time, or you can charge the same and work less. So there's a lot of opportunities there to use this efficiency thing. If you're really efficient, if you have really niched down, and I'm in this category because I do nothing but master every day, I'm very, very fast. Yeah. If you watch Billy Decker, he's incredible to watch in Pro Tools. When someone's done one thing for any more than five years, they get really, really efficient if they've been disciplined about it. And that starts to get interesting because people will hire you specifically because you're fast. I get people all the time that are like, first time customer, could you have this back for me by tomorrow morning? 
yeah, it's going to cost a lot more than it normally would. But the fact that you can deliver on that, that you do what you say you'll do and that you, this goes back to the trustworthy thing and reputation. If they trust that you will actually do what you say you'll do by when you say you'll do it, that win is pretty fast. There's a big opportunity to differentiate between, oh man, you don't want to work with Joe down the road. Joe takes forever. I had a friend that recorded with him and blah, 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 blah. And eight months later, they only had one song done. That slowness is a really easy thing for you to dominate on. Yeah, it's a buzzkill if you have to wait forever for your stuff. If you can be faster than your competitor, it is a huge advantage you have over your competitor. Now, we have to add this caveat though, because what you're going to inevitably see is people think, oh, I can be faster. And then they just shit out a terrible product (laughs) because they're cutting corners. If you are cutting corners in an effort to be faster or more efficient, quote unquote, no, it's never going to work for you. That's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to become a master at your craft and you're just so well-versed in what you're doing that you don't even consciously think about it. Your body just does it. Yep. Muscle memory. That's the way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We are like anti quote unquote, pay your dues. But when it comes to blink, when it comes to this, like it becomes the matrix when you're working where you are putting forth zero effort, it's just happening. You have to put in a lot of hours just because that's the nature of the brain. Yeah. Were you talking about blink the book? There's a really awesome book by Malcolm Gladwell. He's one of the most fascinating, most interesting authors I've ever read. And podcasters. And podcasters, yeah. His Revisionist History is one of my favorite podcasts. And he has a book called Blink where he talks about people who have put in their 10,000 hours who have these weird instincts. They can, you know, if their job is to assess Greek sculptures, they've done it so much they can walk in, they can spot a fake. They can't even tell you why it's fake. They can just tell you, oh, that's a fake. Well, how can you tell? I can just tell. It's a fake. That's crazy. But it's a very real thing, especially in the arts. Well, just to kind of wrap this up, we could not complete this list if we did not mention this way to differentiate yourself. And we left free it last. By, you can differentiate. Just give them free cookies. <laughs> he was so excited to talk about cookies. I'm just kidding. That he couldn't even say the word. I love cookies. What can I say? Yeah. We couldn't leave off without talking about the differentiating factor of being cheaper. This is the one people jump to first and they're like, well, if I'm cheaper than the guy down the road, then they're going to hire me. It is quote unquote differentiating yourself. You will get hired more if you're cheaper. Maybe. Maybe. This is, in my opinion, the absolute worst way possible to differentiate yourself unless you are brand new and you're just trying to build your portfolio. I will 100% support someone who is working for really cheap just to get clients under their belt so that they're not A, working for free, they're getting paid something, and two, so they're getting clients to work with them so they can build a portfolio, build a reputation, and start getting some clients under the belt. That is the only case. That is only a short-term solution. The faster you can get out of that treadmill of cheap work, the better off you're going to be and the better your reputation is going to be because you know what you're doing whenever you undercut everybody? Everyone hates you. And that damages your relationships with other professionals. Yeah, it's super interesting. Definitely, as far as the cheap thing goes, there's a lot of baggage that comes with that. There's a lot of being walked all over by some types of clients that can be really uncomfortable. So, yeah, I mean, like, I definitely don't recommend trying to differentiate in this way. However, the caveat here, and this is something I've done, is I've gotten more efficient and faster as a mastering engineer. I've been very slow to raise my prices. And the reason I do that is I'm able to get way more projects done in a day than I was, say, five years ago. Yeah, you've given yourself a raise by becoming more efficient, not charging more. Exactly. Yeah, I've gotten a raise and my time is worth a lot more than it was five years ago because of increased efficiency. So I've passed that savings on to the customer. And if you look at pretty much everything, 
that's ever been sold, there's been at least a couple companies who have been very successful trying to lower their cost of production and then passing that on to the customer and then building market share as a result. Henry Ford. I was going to say, Henry Ford is a genius at this. He found a way to make cars faster and cheaper than anybody else. And instead of charging, I think it was about $3,000 was what most people were charging for a car back in the 20s. He charged 400. <laughs> wow. And 50% of the cars on the road were Fords. You know who the modern equivalent of that is? Elon Musk. He's figured out a way to build rockets cheaper than anyone else. And now because of his ability to do that, instead of charging, I don't know the numbers. I'm going to quote this way off. I think it's 10%. Yeah. Instead of charging $600 million to launch a rocket into space, he's doing it for $60 million. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's about a 10 to 1 ratio from what he charges to his nearest competitor. And it's a huge unfair advantage, but you better bet that he has a plan to dominate the market based off of that. He's not just charging cheap because he wants to gain market share for no reason. Well, his plan is he reuses rockets. I could gush about Elon Musk's ability to excel in certain things. Not a perfect person. No one's perfect, but yeah. that I can admire. Brian and I agreed that at some point, if we were ever able to Elon Musk on this podcast or the next one, we would just stop the podcast. <laughs> that's, that's right. It. That's actually, I forgot about that. <laughs> if we get Elon Musk on this podcast, that's the last episode we'll ever have. We're done. That's all we needed to we're do. Done. We can move on with our lives. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Amazing. All right. So now let's kind of wrap this whole thing up here. Let's just first revisit the question again, Chris. And I want to pause and let this sink in. Why should someone hire you instead of your competitor down the road? Think about that. But also think about all the things we talked about today to help answer that question. You could be better. You could be cooler. You could have more talent. You could have a better reputation. You can be more convenient. You can be faster. You could even be cheaper if that's the route you want to go. But that also brings up another issue, another question to ask. And that is, if you are different and nobody knows, does it really matter? Yeah. It's kind of like that. If a tree falls in the middle of a forest and it hits a mime, does anyone care? <laughs> It's one of these what? questions. And obviously, if a tree falls I in know. the middle of the forest, I know, I know. does it make a sound? If, the, if no one's, I don't even know what I'm talking about, but I hope you know what I'm saying. We know what you're saying, Chris. Yeah. If you're different and no one knows, does it matter? Which really gets into marketing and it really gets into salesmanship. If someone sits down with you and they're like, I think the best customers have the courage to say, we've narrowed it down to you, this guy and that guy. Why should we hire you? If they're that point blank about it, you need an answer. You should say, well, you know, Steve over there is really good uh, with punk and Julie over there is really good with rap, but you guys are not punk or rap. You guys are like an indie rock thing. And that's me. I do indie rock. That's why you should hire me. Or, well, Steve's pretty expensive. And honestly, he's really not better than I am. We're about the same, but I cost half of what Steve costs because I don't pay $5,000 a month in rent. It's true. But you need to be able to say, I'm better because of this and not blush and not feel weird. And you can phrase this in a way where you're not throwing anyone else under the bus. And that's what I recommend you do. True. I hate throwing people underneath the bus and I try to avoid that 100% of the time. There's another part of this. And that is if someone is to look you up, someone says, okay, Chris Graham's an amazing person to work with. And he's just an incredible guy and you'll love to work with him. And you start Googling around Chris Graham, Chris Graham mastering. What are they going to find? Well, Everything that Chris Graham has done, he's built his online presence, his reputation, his social proof. He's done everything that he possibly can to support that statement. But if you go to John Doe down the road and say, oh, dude, John Doe's so fun to work with at the studio. You'll love him. And you go look up John Doe and he's nowhere to be found. 
and he has no website and there's nothing that you can find about him or worse, you find something and it's nothing about what you just said fits the description, then you're going to really struggle. So you can have all of these differentiating factors that we're talking about here. You can do all of this, but if you are not communicating those facts to your potential customer, it doesn't matter. It's not going to make a difference. So just one example, let's just say you have an incredible experience. You have a cabin in the woods on a lake with boats and guns and Insert whatever else here. You have kites, you have jump rope. A rope swing yeah. into, a, you have a rope into swing. an old rock quarry filled with water. My dream. You have a fun experience on top of a great studio with a great vibe and that's decorated amazingly well and photographs well. If you have all of that on your website, you're going to crush it. If you have none of that on your website, you've just wasted time, effort, and money building all of those things out without communicating to your audience that you have these things. And that's basically... What we want to leave you with is you have to be able to communicate and position yourself as an expert and you have to show that you have these differentiating factors once you've answered that question. Yeah. So case in point, back to the Grand Crew Studios, Miles Clark out in London. It's the boat studio? The boat studio. If someone says to Miles Clark, why should I hire you instead of this other studio? I'm on a boat. I'm on a boat. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question. You can seriously just say that. And if I were in a situation where I wanted to record in London, I would seriously consider Miles over the next guy just because it's like, well, he, he's right. He is on a boat and I, everybody loves boats. Well, there's obviously there's more to it than that. Like, is he the genre that I want to yeah. work with? Like, is he similar to me? Does he have a good portfolio? But all other things being equal, the boat definitely is going to be the difference maker yeah. in this decision process. Well, in case in point, if you guys are interested in this, you're interested in differentiation, a good book to read is Purple Cow by Seth Godin. Great book. It's a classic, but it basically says if a recording business is a cow, you better make sure that your business is a purple cow because someone driving on the road isn't going to be like, oh, wow, look at that black and white cow over there. Oh, that's a really nice cow. That's a me too cow. That's a me too cow. But if it's a purple cow, ooh, how interesting. Let's pull over. If someone literally dyed a cow purple, you would probably stop or at least double take that cow. And you would probably also take a picture of it and send it to PETA, but uh, maybe not. Uh, I, maybe I probably not. wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'd Instagram it. <laughs> no. That's for sure. Yeah, I'd Instagram it for sure. Which is interesting. And I think back to the purple cow thing and back to Crew Studios with Miles here, because he's differentiated, it's free marketing. So much. He just got mentioned on a podcast with 110,000 downloads. Yeah. Yes, because he's a purple cow. Yeah. And the beauty of that is if you are a purple cow, and especially if you're Pinteresty, you're Instagrammable, and you do something that sets yourself apart, maybe you like have, a, I don't know, a Star Wars theme or something weird, like something that jumps out at people, they're going to take a picture of it. Every person that comes over is going to Instagram that thing. So that actually reminds me of another book I want to recommend. I know we're getting to a lot of books here, but it's a book called Remarkable, Maximizing Results Through Value Creation. The author of this book was a C-level executive at Chick-fil-A. And their entire business philosophy isn't, what can I do to cut costs and bring our expenses down? Their entire business philosophy is, how can we add value in unique ways that doesn't cost us anything, but is extraordinarily convenient to our customers? One example for Chick-fil-A is they have some sort of drive-through where instead of moms having to tow their kids through the walk-up line into the store, you can drive your kids to the drive-through, you can order your food, and then you can park your car, bring your kids in, and they'll bring their food out to the table for you so you're not having to wrangle your kids through the line. 
And that's just one easy example. And they do tons of stuff like this all the time. That's just one easy example of setting themselves apart from any other fast food restaurant. And it costs them nothing to do that. And so this book will start making you think about different ways that you can start being remarkable. And that's the first step of getting free publicity, like the boat studio we just talked about, but being remarkable by adding value and preferably in ways that doesn't cost you anything or much money at all. Yeah, that's freaking awesome. There's so much take home from this episode. A couple things. I hope that you have the courage to ask yourself the question, why would someone hire me instead of my competitor? And that you really pause and consider this And I hope that some of the ideas that we brought up are helpful, some things that you can execute. And I hope maybe that you read one of these books and that you take that home and find ways to be like, ah, it doesn't cost me anything extra to do this. And boom, wow, now I've differentiated in at least one small way. So that is it for this episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. Hopefully after listening to this episode and then watching the YouTube video of the same topic and then reading the article of the same topic on the blog that I recently put out, hopefully after all of this, your wills are starting to turn and you're starting to think about things through the lens of how can I set myself apart so that I can answer this question. If you can start to do that, you're going to start seeing the dominoes fall one by one by one until eventually you're able to do this full time. And that is the entire goal that we have for you when we do this podcast is for you to have these aha moments and have these breakthroughs and then hopefully improve your studio so that you can start doing more of what you love and less of what you hate. If you want to participate in this conversation about this episode, ask Chris and I questions. You can just go to the show notes, which is at the sixfigurehomestudio.com slash 49. That's slash four nine. And there's a link straight to the Facebook discussion in our free Facebook community where you can ask us questions. Both Chris and I are tagged in it and we are there to help answer any questions you have. Next week's episode is a special one because it's episode 50 and that's kind of a big milestone for a podcast. You know, sometimes when you start a podcast, you just throw a few episodes out there. You see how it goes. You keep doing episodes, you gain no traction. Then you have something that's called pod fading. The podcast just fades away. You do one a month and then you do one every six months and then you just stop recording altogether. That is what happens to most podcasts. There are so many new podcasts out there. So I just want to say thank you for listening for this long. Thanks for putting up with us for this long. I know Chris is also equally as grateful as I am, if not more grateful than I am, because he's just a grateful dude. And I also want to give a shout out to Chris for being my podcast co-host for all 50 episodes and being a dude that's on time for these episodes and has so many good knowledge bombs to drop. So next week's episode is episode 50, and we actually recorded it several weeks ago on Facebook Live in our free Facebook community. So if you were there for that and you watched us record the entire thing live, uh, this is just going to be a replay and you can kind of get re-refreshed on what we're going to be talking about. So next week was an episode we recorded live, so it's going to have a little bit of different energy and maybe it's a little more sloppy. Who knows? We'll see how the edit turns out. <laughs> so before I go, I just wanted to leave you with one last reminder, going back to what I said at the beginning of this episode, we are starting up the Accountability Accelerator Bootcamp next Monday. That's October 22nd. So if you want to participate in that, you want to take advantage of the PPC scholarship that I'm giving out this week only for podcast listeners, you can just go to the profitableproducer.com and at checkout, you can use the coupon code podcast one if you're paying in full or podcast two if you're checking out with the payment plan. So again, until next time, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for putting up with us for 50 episodes. Thanks for all of those who have left reviews on iTunes. Until next time. Thanks for listening and happy hustling. Whoa.